Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is a special episode of Inside Strategic Coach. And I'm so excited about this one because if there was ever a business that was created that's just perfectly positioned to provide value for all the Strategic Coach clients and Strategic Coach, it's the one for my two guests, Nick and Ari, who are going to explain what their business does. And you've actually gone through some evolutions of this business. So what's the name that you're positioned in the marketplace with? Because the name has tremendous significance, and I'd like you to explain what the name is. Sure. So I'll take that one, Dan. And thank you for having us, by the way. Now, I have to warn you, I'll say the name, but just because I think that we've branded so well, you're not going to be able to help but say it several times throughout the episode in the rest of your speaking. Okay. So we used to be less doing and we became less doing assistance and a whole couple other sort of variation of that because less doing was the productivity system that I created eight years ago. But we rebranded and the company is called Leverage because it really speaks more to what we do and what we offer and what we give people, which is leverage over their time, over their money, over their resources so that they can get more done in their businesses and their lives. So for all the listeners, this is Ari Meisel and Nick Sonnenberg, and you're in New York City. This home base is right in Manhattan, but your business is global because of electronics and the digital way of doing business these days. Talk to me a little bit of what your original concept of the company was that you would call it less doing, and now you've moved up to something called leverage. So that's a big shift of concept. So in changing the name, what happened to your company and what did you notice was happening in the marketplace as a result of the service that you were creating? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So less doing was very much created out of a personal struggle that I had with a debilitating illness that basically reduced the amount of time that I could get things done in the day. And so I had to come up with new ways of getting more done with less energy in a lot of ways. So it was always very personally focused. And when I gave seminars and workshops around the world, that was a lot of the focus, how I can make you as an individual more effective. So a lot of the fundamentals that were created in that system, we still integrate quite a few of those into our training. And the main one is our framework of optimize, automate, outsource. We really, as much as we outsource things, we have an outsourcing company, we really try to teach our members and our team to get people to optimize first with the problem, whatever it is, and then automate second. That's one of the things where we really shine in. And then once you're left with something after that, then you can outsource it to some sort of specialist or generalist. So when Nick and I saw a market opportunity to create a new kind of virtual assistant company, and quite honestly, we don't even love calling it that because I think it devalues a bit of what we do. Our value prop from day one was that we could do anything. And we really threw ourselves off the deep end to make that a possibility. So whereas a typical virtual assistant company might be able to do scheduling or, or maybe book travel for you, we can do all that, but we can also build websites, develop apps, do copywriting, sales funnels, Facebook ads, podcast mm-hmm. production, of course. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to fill that void of the one-stop shop for everything with high-level skills, high-level training, and a high level of personal touch. So we started the company so quickly based on this market opportunity. We literally in 24 hours with free tools. We never put any money into it, and we still haven't. And we've been growing at a consistent 15% per month. We have 110 people in 16 time zones working for us now doing over a thousand hours a week for our our members. 
the idea of doing less just never seemed congruent with what we were really offering. Mm-hmm. And because we were working with more and more businesses, it also wasn't a concept that a lot of businesses like to tell their employees, like, okay, you're going to do less. That's really not what we were doing. We were helping people do as much as possible with whatever resources they have and sometimes you know, even less resources than they might normally have. So we rebranded to Leverage because it really speaks to what we do and what we offer. And I think it has more gravity to it, honestly, yeah. when you say someone, you know, Leverage. The thing that I love about it is that, you know, I've been coaching entrepreneurs for 43 years now, and I've noticed there's two different motivational zones in the entrepreneurial world. One of them is people whose main goal is freedom from. I think most entrepreneurs become entrepreneurs out of a desire to be free from some marketplace situation that they just really don't like, which would include working for someone else. So their big deal is to be free from others' control, free from others' direction. But freedom from is just the starting point. And I would say probably 90, 95% of entrepreneurs have never graduated from the freedom from state to where the real payoff is freedom to. In other words, that you have a really big future ahead of you and you realize that the way you're allocating time, the way that you're tying your activities up will never give you the freedom to actually go to you know, a much higher level. I use a biblical term. I said, you know, the skills that get you out of Egypt aren't the ones that get you into the promised land, you know. So the whole point is that there's two parts. And I notice most people, you know, they just have annoyances and they have things that kind of hassle them and they want to get free, but they don't have any big growth plan. And the thing that I love about what you're doing is that the very premise of Strategic Coach at the level I'm coaching is that the whole purpose of this program is to go 10 times. Now tell me everything when you think of going 10 times just irritates the daylights out of you right now because you know that this would prevent you from actually making that type of growth. And that's why I was so excited about talking to the listeners here, why I was so excited to talk to Ari and Nick about this is that even if you haven't identified the obstacles that are getting you there, if you give them a call, they'll actually get your thinking clear about what you would go after first. I often say that the problem for most people is that they don't even know how to think about the problem. So if I could identify the problem, I'm halfway to a solution, but most people can't even think it through to know what their problem was. So can you start there and say what the first talking through, like I'm an entrepreneur, I'm in that strategic coach, and you know anybody else in coach who's listening, you're going to get to what I'm talking about someday. So I'm just kind of frustrated because I have these big goals, but I got a lot of things that I'm not able to do right now. And I've heard that I should call leverage and talk to them about what's going on. What happens as a result of that first communication? When a client calls us that they need, how do they start because they want to achieve 10x and they don't know where to begin? So, I mean, a lot of this stuff, even internally, it's not that there's like one magic pill that all of a sudden you just flip this one switch and you're twice as efficient, you have twice the time, you're growing faster. It's really the sum of thousand or thousands of little improvements and efficiencies that really in the end make the difference. So 
one way to become more efficient is to have a virtual assistant, which is part of the reason it's a virtual assistant company, but we, you know, no pun intended, leverage our leverage assistants so that we can grow. But that takes you so far. But then it's also how you operate being really efficient. Like we do a lot of asynchronous communication. That's a big one for us in terms of efficiently communicating. Mm -hmm. We find that a lot of people that we work with and coach, it's really on a very select basis now when we do private consulting. But we find that some of the biggest issues, apart from people not knowing what they should be delegating, it's that almost 99% of people aren't properly communicating and project managing within their teams. Mm-hmm. Like Ari said before, our, the framework of optimize, automate, and outsource is something that we really live and breathe and try to teach people because a lot of things you don't even need a human to be doing. Nowadays, there's so many free automation tools or a lot of the tasks that we do for people is to build custom automations so that they don't need to pay a human to do something. And the benefit when you don't have to pay a human, if you have a computer doing something, is one, it's cheaper, but then two, the odds of a mess up are zero, right? You're reducing your risk. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff that we try to instill with people to get eventually to 10x is figure out ways to improve efficiency. And the reason to improve efficiency, obviously, you save time so that you can focus on your unique ability, which I know is a really big concept taught with strategic coach. But apart from more time for your unique ability, it's de-risking your business. Because when you have a mess up, in a lot of cases, it takes 10 times longer to fix a mess up than just doing it right the first time. So if you can avoid Mm -hmm. and reduce the risk of mess ups, that's another big key to getting to the 10x growth that you're talking about. I'd also add to that, Dan, that when we start with a lot of clients, there's kind of three levels. And Nick pointed out that 80% of a lot of the issues, like we'll see this so often with companies, is communication and then project management. So Mm -hmm. regardless of even asking a single question, a lot of times they'll be like, well, okay, let's look at how you're communicating, how you're managing projects with your team. The second level for me is often what are the things that you're doing that you don't like doing, that your team doesn't like doing, that causes frustration, and then the things that are repetitive, because anything that's repetitive, there's an element to that that can be automated. But I have added, since being in the program, there's something that I've added to that conversation, which is the positive focus. And I really, it's interesting because now I can say to somebody, what was something that was really, that you accomplished big in the past quarter? Why was it important? And then what's that next step? And I find that nine times out of 10, that very next step is something that can be outsourced. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing. Now, I have a question here because my goal for this podcast is that there would be a rush of interest in leverage. I mean, quite frankly, that's that's my goal here. Is there an automatic interface that they can just immediately go to and kind of express what it is that they're looking for? Yeah. If they go to our website, getleverage.com, they can chat directly with us on the website. We're using a tool called Intercom, which is a one of the tools that we really suggest to businesses. And that does many things, one of which is it allows to centralize all of your communication People can chat with you through the website and in real time, any one of the team members inside of Intercom can answer people's questions. Yeah. So I'm just going to repeat that. It's called getleverage.com. You see, this is really, really interesting. And uh, Ari, thanks for using the positive focus example, because I hadn't seen the connection between the positive focus and what you do. But of course, it's the next step. So often it's a procrastination item they will have 
a sense of pride about what they accomplished, but then they're probably hitting something that's beyond their capability. It's not in their unique ability. Well, and, and the interesting thing on that, Dan, sorry to interrupt, is just that if they are procrastinating and they have no idea what that next step is, that's an even better situation to give it to somebody, and then that person will ask some questions. Yes. And this will happen online interactively, right? I mean, um, you know, also, it, your concept of the four seeds that we found to really be something that coincidentally we came across and fell upon, and only until after you talked about it at Genius, we realized that actually we were already doing kind of the four C's. Yeah, because what I'm working on right now is that I'm creating another one of my quarterly books. I'm just getting the cartooning done on it, but it's called Procrastination Priority, that your biggest procrastinations are actually a good indicator of what you should really be working on. Mm -hmm. Okay, but there's two steps to that. There's knowing it, but there's actually then being able to very quickly hand off to someone who can actually do it. If I can just give you a little overview of what I picked up so far from the discussion, what I love about that is that someone's looking for a fish and you provide them quick access to get the fish, but there's also a teaching fishing that goes on in your process here. And probably part of it just comes from interacting with you on the logic of lining up a problem and very, very quickly identify a solution that is not you. The solution is somebody else. They will get better at problem identification and much, much better at proper delegation if they just interact with you. So you guys are going to be sort of coaches on how they can be better and better optimizers of the company that they have right now. You nailed on a few really key points. So one, we pride ourselves in kind of being the anecdote for procrastination, right? So people who are procrastinators really fit well into our business model because give us all the stuff that you're procrastinating on. And it's kind of like what Joe Polish talks about where, you know, your not to-do list is kind of more important than your to-do list. You know, in a sense, mm -hmm. give us your not to-do list so then you can have a leaner, more effective to-do list for yourself. Part of this stuff that we're working on in the background to get to that 10x that we were talking about is we're rolling out a new project management software that businesses, individuals be able to use. It's going to be totally free. It's a very elegant solution that no one really has cracked yet. And one of the key features that we're going to have is there will be virtual assistants integrated into it. So you can use this software for free to manage the things that you're working on, that your team is working on, prioritize. You can asynchronously communicate through it as well. But the key feature that we're going to be having in there is imagine a to-do list and you can click a button and it's like a magic button and someone else does that for you. So that obviously, if you click that button, you'll have to pay, but you don't need to click no. that button. You'll be able to use the tool for free. And that's part of our 10x growth strategy for the year. Yeah, that's fantastic. Any timeline on that that's reasonable from your standpoint? I mean, if we put this out right now. You know, we're going to be rolling that out by June to all of our clients, and they're going to have yeah, first so access to it. By the end of the year, we'll roll it out to the general public for being a free tool. Yeah, so this is January 2018 that you're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. hopefully before. But At the level that I'm coaching at, and this would include everybody in the strategic coach, writing the check is the least of the problems. 
It's knowing what to write the check for and who to write the check to. That's where the procrastination lies. Writing the check is not a procrastination item. That's the neat thing about really successful, ambitious, and talented entrepreneurs. Writing checks is one of the most effective activities that they actually do. If there's clarity about the check writing. And I don't want to age anybody here, but you know, if you think about like pneumatic tubes from a yesteryear, right? And the way that messages come in and then you put them, they go out somewhere yeah. else. That to me is what the job of a lot of entrepreneurs is, is to be sorting, right? So you shouldn't be holding it on. It's like hot potato. You get it and put it to the right person. You get it, put it to the right person. So you have just enough touch to know what's going on and to put it to the right party to deal with it. Another way of saying that is the way that we think is we're constantly bottleneck removers. Yeah. That's why when you read productivity articles, a lot of people say, don't read your email first thing in the morning. And we completely disagree with that because a lot of the times you're a bottleneck and you need to respond to those emails. So if you wait three hours to respond to someone, they maybe weren't able to perform all the work that they needed to do because you were a bottleneck for them. A lot of the theories or the articles, it's because people don't have good systems back to the communication and project management. They don't have good systems in place. So they have 10,000 emails and a hundred things on their to-do list. They haven't come up with a good system. But if you have a good system and you're at inbox zero and you uh, have a really good system of organization, then We believe, and what we teach people and what we do ourselves is the very first thing you do is you remove bottlenecks. Because in a lot of cases, the first two hours of my day is just removing bottlenecks. And then even if I don't work for the rest of the day, I've cleared the path for everyone else on the team to do what they need to do. Yeah, and it's very interesting because we're diving deep into procrastination in all the 10 times workshops. So every quarter, I get them to identify the top procrastinations that they have right now. And what we've noticed totally supports what you're saying here. The procrastinations that bother you the most are the ones where you are the bottleneck from getting a huge teamwork multiplier from other people. So first of all, you're being a jerk to yourself because you're not moving forward. But the other thing is, People are twiddling their thumbs because you haven't done something which may actually require very short activity on your part. You need to make a decision. you got to give some direction. It might be five minutes, but because you're overwhelmed, you can't zero in on what it is. And I notice the ones that bother me the most are the ones where I'm the person preventing teamwork. You know, it's very interesting. I mean, take for an example, like Ari does all the content writing for us, right? So let's just say, for example, he's indifferent to writing right away in the morning versus in the afternoon. If he spends that first hour of the day writing versus removing bottlenecks for the other people approving, say, a Facebook ad or answering some clarifying questions of VAs, if he spends the hour doing that versus other things, he might end up holding up the company by a factor of 50 or 100 hours because people weren't able... Mm -hmm. There might be 50 or 100 people that couldn't work for that hour that Ari was doing that. So it's so critical and important to remove bottlenecks. Like for us, that's the most important thing. And then go on and do the things that you need to do. But as long as you remove the bottlenecks and you have a team, that's really how you get to get to that 10x factor that we're talking about, in my opinion. Okay, I've just designed a new thinking tool for the 10 Times program. It's called Where Are You the Bottleneck? And I'm going to get them to identify five areas where they know they're the bottleneck. 
they could use this as their thinking when they get in touch with you. They said, I'm the bottleneck in five different areas. Uh, I mean, I think that's awesome. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard this over the last 43 years many, many times. But, you know, entrepreneurs love to talk about how they spend part of their day putting out fires. Yeah. The reason is they're arsonists. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it's like build a fireproof room and then you'll be fine. So that's that's how we look at it. Can I ask you a question? One of the things I've noticed ever since we started the program, people are just fascinated with where other entrepreneurs came from and if they have a partnership, how they teamed up with each other. Could you each give a little background of what the path you were on previously to your first one, Less Doing, and then your partnership and why it works? What are the skills that come together? There's a great biographical story. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think if I do say so myself, I think we have a good one. So as I said, I had this debilitating illness. I had Crohn's disease and was diagnosed with that after working for three years in construction, really heavy schedule, like 18 hours a day, not living particularly healthily. And when I got to 23 years old, I was also in $3 million of personal debt, which is an interesting place to be when you're 23. The lifestyle combined with the stress was insurmountable for me at that time. And I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease which took me from working these 18-hour days to working an hour a day, barely, if I could. And through a long journey of self-tracking and self-experimentation, I was able to overcome the illness, get off my meds. I did a TED Talk. I've worked with other people with the condition to get similar results. But a big part of it was a systematic approach to dealing with stress, and that was this personal productivity system, as I said. And then I was teaching around the city and then eventually around the world and speaking all over the place and doing coaching, I was always just a one-man show, though. And it's funny because I never felt like I owned a business at that point. I was really just owning my own job, which I think is an important distinction for many entrepreneurs to understand. And then I had worked with all these different virtual assistant companies, one of which was called Zirtual. And Nick and I became friends, I guess it was four years ago now. And basically, Nick just happened to accidentally walk into a class I was teaching. He was learning coding in a next door classroom at this particular place I was teaching, he walked into mine and we hit it off and we stayed in touch basically throughout that time. So coincidentally, this company's virtual went out of business on a Monday morning and we had already had this dinner planned for that night and we're talking about what had happened and what we would have done differently. Nick has been into productivity. He was working on his own productivity app at the time. We're talking about what could be different and Nick said, well, why don't you just start your own virtual assistant company? And I was like, My immediate reaction was that I didn't want to. I didn't want to start another business. Things were going okay. My wife was pregnant with our fourth child coming along. I was like, this is not the time to start something. And I'm going on vacation next week with my family. And Nick was like, well, what if we do it together? So I said, okay. I was like, but we have to launch before I leave in two days. So Nick went to work that night. And the next morning, he was like, okay, we're going to use this system, this system, this system, and let's launch. I was like, okay, I've got two people who can be assistants. We've got 10 people from a mastermind program I've been running that can be our first clients. Let's do this. It was a wild ride after that. And basically for the next couple of months, it was a, definitely a side hustle. We went to Genius Network that year and Joe offered for us to do a workshop the third day on outsourcing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have like a three month old company at that point and we didn't have a big sort of system or anything. We had about 20 clients. We decided we'll just tell them how we do things. We'll talk about how we run our company. Yeah. So we did a three and a half hour, which workshop. is a month old at that point. By yes. The way. Right. We, we were teaching them how to run a company after we had been doing it for a month. 
<laughs> yeah, so we decided to do this workshop. We, for three and a half hours, we talked with no script, no presentation about how we do things, answered a bunch of questions. And at the end of that three and a half hours, of the 75 people in the room, about 68 signed up to be clients. So we're on the plane going back, and Nick is basically like swiping credit cards the whole way back. And I think somewhere over Kansas, maybe we said, you know, I guess this is a real business and we really need to do this. And, and not only that, we suddenly had four times as many clients as we had had the day before. So we really, we threw ourselves off a cliff and wanted to see if we could fly. And pretty quickly after that is when we became full time on it. As far as the synergies of us as a partner, Nick, I think articulates that actually really well. So Nick, take us through where the start of this was for you before you met Ari and What's the teamwork? How's the teamwork actually work? So I'll, I'll start with just my background, how we got together and stuff. But then how the teamwork is done is really one of the keys to why we're successful. And part of the answer to that question is we're very efficient with how we separate work. And by having clear rules around who's in charge of what reduces the amount of wasted time in terms of arguing, like, who should do this, who should do that. But anyways, my story, I guess, starts, I have a master's in financial engineering. My whole life, I thought I was, you know, my unique ability was math. But until I hit grad school, I realized that actually my unique ability was more that I could strategically think about solving business problems using math. It was in grad school where I realized I'd probably never be like top 10 or 100 in math in the world, but I could be really top as being this in-between person that can live in, in between a business world and a math world. So after I graduated from Berkeley, I did high-frequency algorithmic trading for eight years. And basically what that means is I would trade billions of dollars of stocks at nanosecond and microsecond speeds, trying to capture fractions of fractions of a penny, all using algorithms. So I wouldn't know anything about the companies. They would all be math-based. And... It was a really cool job. I was doing that for eight years. I was running Asia X Japan at a young age. By 26, I was making seven figures, but I found myself unhappy and unfulfilled. And so I gave up 85% of what I used to make to move back to New York to do it because I was sick of Asia. So even from a young age, money wasn't my primary goal. It was always, obviously I like money, but my primary goal is always happiness and however I, I can get to being happy. So I knew being in Asia wasn't going to get me there. And then when I moved back to New York, I still wasn't happy. And I went on a trip with a friend and saw him working on his startup from a laptop by the pool with a pina colada. And I remember for the first time thinking to myself, maybe I don't have the coolest job anymore. Even though I'm making 10 times what this guy's making, I was really envious of the freedom and the fact that he could choose where he worked, what he worked on, and he could really control his destiny. You know, if I made $50 million one year for the bank trading, 10 people would take a cut of that bonus all the way down to me. You know, my boss's boss's boss and the people that you never even met were taking cuts of that. I didn't really like that. So I kind of at that point realized, well, hey, like maybe this entrepreneur thing is pretty cool. And I always had that entrepreneur spirit. So I created an app called Calvin and I was doing that on the side. So I was basically building this company from my phone on the trading desk. I would leave work and work until midnight. On the side too, for a little while, I was doing a second master's in math and computer science at NYU. 
and I was just kind of getting burnt out. So eventually I decided to take a jump in the deep end and I had already given up 85% of my annual income. So I gave up that extra 15% and jumped in the deep end to do Calvin. And like, as Ari said, coincidentally, we were having dinner the day that this other company went bankrupt. Oh, sorry. And just to rewind. So I met Ari at this place called General Assembly. And what he didn't mention is I was randomly sitting on his talk and I was blown away by his talk. And a lot of the concepts he was talking about, about personal productivity, which he was very focused on personal productivity with less doing, it was kind of like an eye opener for me because I was an algorithmic trader. So I was all about automation already, maybe a little bit more on the technical side of things, but I was into automated trading. So I was very fascinated when he would tell me that he built 12,000 Twitter followers automatically. I have ADD, but that grabbed my attention. So mm-hmm. anyways, we became good friends and we had this dinner. And to circle back to your first question there, there's a few things that are key to our success. Now, people say don't go into business with friends, and we've broken that rule because Ari's one of my best friends. But one of the benefits of going to business with someone that you're really close with is you have full trust over the other person. And Mm -hmm. what I didn't have with my previous company was full trust with the other people on the team. So that saves so much time and mental energy knowing that you don't have to worry about someone doing something that is against what you would want. Another big thing that we did, which has proven to be part of our success formula, was at this dinner when we defined very clearly how the company would be structured, which hasn't changed since the beginning, we defined very clearly our roles and responsibilities. We don't use titles, but it was very clear I'm basically all the technical and infrastructure stuff and Ari's kind of everything else. (laughs) Yeah. We have very complementary but also very opposite skill sets. Mm -hmm. There's about 80 plus percent overlap. We think a lot alike, but what I'm very strong at is different from what Ari's very strong at. I'm a quick start and Nick is definitely not a quick start. (laughs) Yeah. The interesting thing about that, because my partner is my wife, so we met 35 years ago this year. And the interesting thing about it is, you know, don't go in business with your wife, don't go into business with your friends. Those are confusing terms. The question is, is there a mindset resonance, both about the present and the future, between the two people. That's the only consideration. doesn't matter what shape or form the relationship comes in. It's a mindset resonance. I read about the history of capitalism a lot, and one of the major thinkers in the 20th century is F.A. Hayek. He was an Austrian. A lot of the really bright guys about capitalism came out of Vienna early in the 20th century, but he said, you know, the real tragedy of capitalism is that it was named by its enemies. Marx and the whole people who really were enemies of capitalism. There was no such thing as capitalism. No one called it capitalism until the early part of the 1800s. And Hayek says capital is just a byproduct of capitalism. He says what it is is an ever-expanding system of increased cooperation among strangers. And he says the great breakthrough of capitalism is actually cooperation among strangers. Mm -hmm. He said, and the reason is because there's this vast system of legal protections and agreements and everything 
whereas in most of the world you can only trust your friends or your family. He says in the capitalist system you can trust people you've never met, and your company is just a perfect example of an ever-expanding system of increased cooperation among strangers. So you're a pure capitalist company, as far as I can see here. Yeah. And you've got this very, very neat thing that I don't think I've ever seen in such pure form before, is what you're showing your clients are is how to not be bottlenecks themselves. But the only way you can grow your company is by the two of you not being bottlenecks inside of leverage. Everything that we teach, we do ourselves like to, to, to the most extreme to. extent that we possibly can. Yeah. You have to, otherwise you got lawsuits. Well, I mean, Nick's getting on a plane tomorrow. To, he's going to be in Europe for 17 days. And while he's there, he'll be working with some of the people that we have people in 16 time zones now. So Nick's going to be working with some of our key people while he's there. My kids have spring break in a couple of weeks and I'm not going to be working that week except for one day where I'm doing a conference. I mean, like we, we have that flexibility and we're yeah. constantly looking at how we can get out of the way rather than yeah. how we can insert ourselves. You know, the thing that I love about this, and you know, it goes along with your technical capabilities, Nick, is it seems to me that you're always going to be expanding your outward system in terms of people around the world whose skills will be useful to your client base. But at the same time, you're probably going to be learning all sorts of new things on the digital ways, you're going to see probably all sorts of tools that you can use to facilitate the growth of your business, but these tools will become available to your customers. Right. So I mentioned that we're building this dashboard, and that's part of our strategy for 10xing. I mean, some other things that we're working on, which are also towards that 10x or maybe even 100x number we're doing natural language processing. So again, whenever you can have a computer do something, we feel like that's what we're striving for. So right now, having humans, even though right now computers aren't smart enough to do the tasks that we're doing, still humans are bottlenecks, right? We talked about that. So we're using natural language processing to start understanding the sentiment of a task to point us in the right direction of which tasks people might be highest probability of being upset with. Right. So we're starting to calculate what's the probability of someone being upset, taking into account what they wrote. Maybe the whole conversation is positive, but the last comment is negative. And maybe that means more than the whole conversation overall being positive. Or maybe someone's a wordy person and all of a sudden they're getting short. And that, that in combination with negative words might tell us something else. So that's one project that I'm working on right now. And that's to automatically point us in the right direction of which tasks we need the RE needs to take a look at basically we kind of make a joke I'm kind of the air traffic controller and he's the pilot I kind of tell him where to fly and then he flies so that's one big project that we're kicking off but then also you know we are global and our final goal is to be able to have thousands and thousands of contractors on this platform and what we do is we've created this marketplace which is it's a great system that we've created where any person that works for us can pick up whatever task they want to work on. And the theory behind that is if someone is choosing to do something versus being told to do something, they'll perform better and do higher quality work. And then also we'll be able to retain them for longer if they're happier in the workplace. So we've built this marketplace, but we're using math to control what they see in the marketplace. So you, for instance, would be a VIP client for us. So we wouldn't necessarily want a junior or some new person that we haven't been able to properly test yet 
to work on your tasks at first. So taking into account how important you are as a client, even though all clients are important, but still there might be some that are we need to pay extra special attention to in combination with how skilled the VAs are, what's the bandwidth of the VA. Maybe the VA is a four-star average, but he's five-star or she's five-star in development. Taking into account all these things, who would be the best for you right now? Now, we're not forcing them, but I can control putting a delay on how far in advance they see it in the marketplace before the next. So if it's an urgent task, maybe we'll just put a 20-minute delay and show them first. But if it's not that urgent, maybe I'll put a three-hour delay. And we're using math to optimize how much of a delay we put. So it's a marketplace, but we're not manipulating. We're controlling the marketplace with advanced algorithms. It's almost like private sale in the real estate market. Depending on the clientele and depending upon the realtor, the real estate agent, you can push a 24-hour private sale when that sale is not out for bid for the rest of the real estate industry. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I learned, which was a tremendous breakthrough for me, and I really make a point of it in Strategic Coach, there is no equality in your client base. The first thing you have to understand is to treat your clients very, very unequally. (laughs) And it's because of that resonance, that mindset resonance. There's people that would pay me 10 times just to have an hour conversation with them because I learned so much in that hour. When there's other people, if I spend an hour with them, I feel like I got dumber over the hour, (laughs) you know? Well, hopefully that's not the case here, Dan. No, no, you guys are great. But I hope the listeners of Inside Strategic Coach are getting the point of what an extraordinary... I mean, this is like right at the center of the marketplace. They've positioned themselves right at the center of the marketplace. Now, let me ask you a question. What happens when you get a request in that you don't have someone who can actually handle it? So this requires some R&D on your part. It requires some discovery work. So how does that work? How do you actually do that? That's a great question. In over 7,000 tasks that we've done, we've only said no to one because it was illegal and it wasn't something that was particularly interesting either. So Was this like a hit job or something? No, uh, that would have been more exciting to talk about. This was basically somebody wanted us to certify that we were them on a federal forum. So oh. we couldn't do oh, that. Oh, wow. So it wasn't yeah. exciting. But... We've never had to say no. And I love that challenge. I actually put that out to our client base before, to all of our members to say, what's the craziest task you can think of? And the funny thing about that is that 80% of them come back with something that they think is insane. And to me, it's like, that's a pretty basic task. We could just get that done. So in the beginning, that was more of an issue. To be quite honest now, we have so many Swiss army knives on the team that what somebody might think is a particularly unique skill set, sometimes there's enough overlap with another one. But if we don't have somebody in-house I, through doing this, you know, in so many different markets, so many different companies, so many different people for eight years now, I know where to go to get that person or that resource if we don't have it. But Mm -hmm. I have to be honest, that situation has not come up in the probably the last 10 months where I had to go outside the company to find somebody. And the other thing that we're really good at now is we start to see the trends in advance. So we can say like, hey, I think we're going to need more copywriters with direct response experience in the next couple months. We're seeing those kinds of tasks. So then we'll go and we'll try to get those kind of people. We have a lot of developers now, programmers. So we can foresee a lot of those needs, but we had some pretty fun ones. And Sometimes for the really crazy ones, I just end up doing them myself and we figure it out. 
Yeah, this is really great. I'm so happy you signed up for the program, Ari, because the reason is for all the coach people, I never recommend to strategic coach clients anybody who can provide any service unless that person themselves are in the strategic coach. And part of the reason is they kind of know the game on the other side. And I really wanted it, Ari, for you to have a feel of what coach is because it would make you able to zero in more and more like you did with Positive Focus. Oh, this is a perfect setup tool for identifying the things that could be handled very easily by leverage. I really love what's been revealed here because it's more than I knew when the conversation started. But truly, you're sitting there, the two of you, you're sitting in Manhattan today, and there's literally no obstacle for you endlessly growing except some breakdown in the partnership between the two of you. We have that risk and like maybe if a task goes really bad or something, we got we have insurance. So that <laughs> yeah, I guess the only risk we have is if we get into a huge fight and never talk to each other, but that doesn't seem to be I mean, happening anytime. Yeah, you can I tell you and you can check this out in private, but both of you have given me evidence that this probably won't be a problem. But what I've seen is when entrepreneurs are at the beginning of something or they're in, I would say, in their, uh, how old are you, Ari? How old are you? I'm 34, Nick's 32. The thing about it, it's hard to tell when entrepreneurs in their 30s what the value system is that defines their end game. And what I mean by that is I've noticed in their 30s, you can notice entrepreneurs and they're totally motivated to grow, they're totally motivated to learn, they're totally motivated to take risks, but they have two completely different end games. And one of them has an end game of status. You know, they have a status level in mind that probably reflects lifetime experiences, you know, where they grew up and friends they have. And the other one has what I would call a transformation end game, and that is that the game never ends. At a certain point, there would be a real problem with that partnership, because at a certain point, the continued growth on the part of the other partner starts to threaten the status of the other person. Look, when's enough enough, you know, they say. But the status partner comes back and says, to the growth partner, he says, you know, you're demanding too much from me. You know, I'm working on my handicap, and you're getting in the way of that. So the important thing, both of you have told an interesting enough story to me to indicate that you're transformational guys. There's this game, and when you finish this game, there's a higher game beyond that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Nick and I have had two, maybe three now, moments where we thought that we would want to take on outside investment. And the truth is that the day that you take, you know, as Seth Godin says, like the day you take outside investors is the day you decide you're going to sell your company. And we've never done that. In all those situations, we got scrappier than we already were. And we made it out of that. And I think that Nick and I, I think it's unique to both of us, quite honestly, that the intellectual stimulation of the work that we do is that's what we're chasing. And there's really not a way for that to go away with the way we're doing things. I mean, you talked about gamifying your company. You've gamified your lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. You're both in a game that you love. Absolutely. And there's endless stimulation to move to a higher level of skill. 
One other thing about that as well is, you know, I've done a lot of speaking. Nick is actually starting to do a little bit more of it as well. But there's no ego about what we're doing because we recognize, again, the bottleneck thing. If Actually, if either one of us are the only people who can speak on stage about the company and market, that hurts the company. Yeah, We actually try to remove ourselves from that as much as possible. It's really the company is leverage. It's not about me. It's not about Nick. It's yeah. We just love what we're doing. We, we really put the egos aside. I mean, what interests me and my skill set is different than Ari's. And that has been a good thing because I'm quite happy for Ari to be the one to do most of the speaking. I, I kind of would rather sit and talk with the developers and do some of sure. the, the math problem stuff. And I don't care necessarily if people know my name at all, you know, as long as this is a billion dollar company, if no one knows my name, it doesn't really matter. But the only reason why it becomes an issue is sometimes I have to be the one to do the consulting and then they, we want to avoid the Batman Robin thing. So it's more just for business purposes rather than ego purposes, if I'm going to be doing a speaking, but we kind of made it clear that really the preference and priority is for Ari to do more of that stuff. And also just to further that, I mean, I built up the less doing brand over seven years. And in one conversation, we changed it to leverage. And it was it. It was like, that yeah. is, this is what serves us better for what we're doing. I don't care. Yeah. Well, just to wrap up, how is it paid for? What's the basis for pick a particular request? What's the dollar amount? Because people want to have this in mind as they're thinking about it. We really want to treat the people that we work with as our members. So this is, it's a membership. So you pay $199 a month to be a member of our service. And when they do that, they get five hours automatically when they sign up. However, for people that are in strategic coach or are part of the Dan Sullivan ecosphere, they get an extra three hours when they sign up. So anybody who signs up from you will get actually nine hours when they join us because they get five hours as a bonus sign up and then they get an hour included every month and extra three hours for you guys. So the subscription fee includes that one hour. It also includes unlimited strategy calls. So they can book a call with one of our top people anytime they want to just talk through a productivity challenge and that not to-do list. And that's not billable time. I do a weekly webinar that's just for our members. They get access to a membership site. There's a whole bunch of things that go with that subscription fee. But then we charge beyond that $40 per hour and we bill by the second. Right. And just to riff on that for one second, we bill by the second, not because we think it's cool or because we think that that's like a better way of doing it. We bill by the second because rather than making up some fancy invoice or anything, we share the report, the time report that we get with our clients and our members. So that's what they get to see. So it makes it much more yeah. transparent. They see what's happening and they can also yeah. provide quality control if they need to for us. Well, I can see Nick's background hopping over the fence into another industry there. You know, because you were measuring in nanoseconds and a second must seem like a vast amount of time to you, Nick. Yeah, sometimes it gets me into trouble where I said, you know, why did it take you five seconds to get back to me? No. <laughs> but Dan, also, before we end, I just want to point out that we're still in our infancy, but our goal is by the end of this year or, or next year to hit the requirements to be in your program. I, I forget what the revenue requirements are. Ten times. Yeah, it's a half a million personal income to be in uh, my program. We're very exciting because next year at this time, the 10 times program will be not the top program because I have another program called the Game Changer that starts next April. And these are people who are really doing something that so fundamentally changes their industry that their competitors want to be students. 
They want to be customers. That's one of my defining definitions for a game changer is that your value creation proposition is so high that people who would be your competitors actually want to be your customers. So how do we just skip to that one? (laughs) <laughs> no, no, you have to do a year in 10 times. And thanks for allowing me to put in a little sales pitch for the 10 times programs. You have to have a year in the 10 times program to do that. And there's other qualifications, which we can discuss off the call. But, you know, I just want to tell everybody in the coach program period. And so we have 3000 active clients right now. And we have another closing in on 16,000 people who have spent at least a year with us. We communicate with everybody at least once a quarter in that almost 18,000 people. I want to cross the T's and dot the I's about the importance of what I see that leverage provides almost uniquely to the Strategic Coach Program, that the things that tell you that you had an annoying quarter when you come to a coach program, you look back at the last 90 days, everything that tells you in your business and perhaps a lot in your personal life that you had an annoying quarter, a frustrating quarter, these guys handle. These guys handle, okay? And if they haven't handled it before, they'll create the solution. And for $199 membership, Per month in this. I mean, you've lost far more money in a bad hire or a botched up project than you'll ever pay these guys. So my feeling is that this is a no-brainer for every strategic coach client, both now and anytime in the future. This is the go-to. Getleverage.com. Getleverage.com. So a uh, little wrap up, anything about what you learned in the podcast? Absolutely. So Dan, just to give you full credit, like every single time I hear you speak, I get something out of it. So thank you for that. From the very first time I heard you speak on stage at Genius Network, and you said that Frank Sinatra never moved his own pianos, I've ridden that hard. So (laughs) what you just said, though, in the very beginning about freedom from versus freedom to, and I think that's actually a very good way to describe our rebrand, which is that less doing was freedom from and leverage is freedom to. Yes. Terrific. Nick, great to get your background, Nick, because we didn't do that the first time. And, you know, I have to tell you, the strategic coach clients, you can keep them spellbound for hours telling entrepreneurial stories, how people became an entrepreneur. Yeah. So one, I have a new goal, and that's to be in your game changer program. So I learned about that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think just the conversation, which kind of unleashed this talk about bottlenecks and how critical that is. It's not something that necessarily Ari and I talk about, but this open conversation, I think, brought up how important removing bottlenecks really is from the perspective of what the role of an entrepreneur is. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm really thankful because I've been passing out the books, but, you know, I've been doing it mainly on faith and now I have knowledge. (laughs) So I'm not bad on faith. I'll jump in the pool before I know any strokes, but It really helps that I can, you know, in an hour's time, and this will be listened to over and over again inside of our network, you know, it just totally positions you exactly where they would want to immediately move their procrastinations over to your side of the net so that they can move through that stuff very, very quickly. So a real pleasure, and I'm sure we'll touch back in periodically to get the updates on what you're doing and 
new ways of thinking about entrepreneurs not being the bottleneck in their own companies and not being bottlenecks in their own life. So great talk. Thanks thank you a lot. so much for having thank, us. Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for everything you do.